Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. This is Abby Martin. What's going on? Sorry, we haven't done one of these in a while. Zero schedule whatsoever. Really sorry. Thanks for the interest and thanks for asking us to do another one. We really appreciate it um, because it keeps us on our toes and forces us to do it. Uh, let's talk about Syria like we do in every episode. Um, there was just a ceasefire agreed to by Russia and the U.S. and I'm assuming Assad as well about not bombing anyone except al-Nusra, ISIS, and quote other militant groups because aren't the militants who were like actually arming with weapons and funding, aren't those militants as well? I, I don't really understand like where the line's drawn. Do you? No, I mean, we, I think we're officially funding. It's that's why, that's why it's really confusing because we were funding rebels like the FSA and some other rebel groups like overtly and directly um, not just funding them, but giving them actual weapons and stuff. And then it just sort of evolved into all of a sudden, all these other rebel groups um, had weapons and some of them had us weapons. Some of them didn't. And then like, they just devolved into a total clusterfuck. Some of the rebel groups who used to be on the same side or on our side are now fighting each other over there. Yeah, and unfortunately, the U.S. could have avoided a lot of it. Um, as VJ just stated in that interview that we did with him, is that you know we have this ambassador on the ground when when like the first protests were going on, basically egging everyone on, saying the U.S. is with you, um, saying we're gonna have a no-fly zone, all this shit, and and basically like giving hope to like this little ragtag group of protesters there during the Arab Spring and then um, refuses to work with any legitimate government presence whatsoever over the past few years and instead just opts to do all this covert bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's like the, that's just like one part of it. Like those are like the normal, well, in some ways, like a lot of normal people who just aren't paying very much attention think that that's somehow a good idea, I guess. Cause that's like, that's not like sending in ground troops. It's like fighting the evil Assad regime, you know, um, just stupidity like that. But uh, there's a whole nother level to it where like seemingly intelligent intellectual people will like try to rewrite modern, like recent history about this situation to ignore and omit like all the meddling that we were doing in Syria um, this whole time. Like they will ignore every step that we took and just sort of like start the clock at the point where civil war was already full blown. Like that's the, in a lot of ways, that's the only way their arguments can work is if you isolate the timeline to like a very small fraction in time. Because if you take it back anymore, you know, like a few years earlier, then it's clear that the U.S. is meddling in a sovereign nation um, because it's always wanted to destabilize part of this part of the Middle East. Like there's no question about that. <laughs> So, so now it's like now they have this humanitarian angle they can pull out, and it seems valid only when they keep it in this very isolated time frame. And then you see people like UK paid propagandist Shill Majid Nawaz writing articles for the Daily Beast uh, with the headlines like "How Obama Lost the Middle East to Putin," and it goes on to basically say how. Obama just acquiesced too much to the evil Russian regime and Putin and let Putin strong harm him. And this is why there's such a clusterfuck in Syria uh, right now. This is basically his yeah. argument. Right. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with the fact that we started mm -hmm. like literally funding rebels to, to fuck up that country 
It's just it's just funny how these people can write articles like this. And then this guy, John Schindler, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Have you heard of this borderline no. psychotic man? He got caught with like a dick pic and like sending like insanely narcissistic, like crazy, weird, just embarrassing as fuck, like sexts to this woman on Twitter and he got caught. He's an ex-NSA official uh, who writes like really neocon articles. Yeah. And the title of his most recent article is called Mounting Evidence Putin Will Ignite World War Three. <laughs> By letting what? Putin by letting Putin get away with whatever he likes in Syria, Obama has created a deeply dangerous situation. Damn. So yeah, Putin is just getting away with whatever he wants in Syria, Abby. Literally. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's amazing. So it's just the rhetoric has just got it just keeps getting crazier. You know, when I made a very heavy agenda part two, uh I put in as much crazy rhetoric about you know, about Syria and Russia in that movie as I could, but it just keeps getting worse. Um, I just don't know where it can go from here. Yeah, let me read this little clip from BuzzFeed of all places. I think it's hilarious that someone at BuzzFeed wrote this, Um, but because it's just such a bad website. But um, so American proxies are now at war with each other in Syria. Officials with Syrian rebel battalions that receive covert backing from one arm of the U.S. government told BuzzFeed News that they recently began fighting rival rebels supported by another arm of the U.S. government. Um, So I don't know what they're talking about, about like one arm or the other. I mean, maybe they're talking about the CIA like covert rebel training operation and then as opposed to like whatever was newly funded rebels i'm not really sure there's so many rebel groups it's hard to keep track um yeah. but it's just like so ridiculous because it's basically just saying now it's just just like a evolution of the confusing as fuck policy you know playing out on the ground laying bare all these contradictions and absurdities no it's 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 so there's so many contradictions and absurdities that, so when you look at something like the Institute for the Study of War, they're supposed to be this like very academic, analytical, you know, war strategy institution. Mm-hmm. They actually have a guide called like the the Syrian Rebel, um, like like primer guide, where it has lists and charts of every single rebel faction, and there are hundreds of them, and. And it shows you how close they are affiliated to like groups like Al Qaeda and how closely they're affiliated to us. And there's a remarkable amount of gray area in there where it's like some of them lean both. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and then also in the document, it basically says like the U.S. goal should be to like marginalize any groups that like lean heavily towards like Al Nusra. <laughs> That's pretty right. much all it says. It's not like we need to like get rid of Al Nursa. We need to like strip them from the ranks. It's just like we need to marginalize the ones that are like the most Al Nursa. Because like so many of them are like partially loyal to Al Nursa, but they're still like f- helping us. <laughs> yeah. And you exactly. go down the list and it just keeps going and going. So many different rebel groups. It's actually a really impressive, whoever compiled this list did a really good job. But, yeah, you know, it's acting like. It's sort of this like cold analytical document, but what it really means is, wow, we're really funding a lot of so many different rebel groups in Syria, and there's so many different counter rebel groups also that it just doesn't even make sense. How can anyone keep track of it at this right. point? Um, right. So uh, yeah, it's it's just it's fascinating just how messy this whole situation is continuing to be. I, I don't I don't know what's yeah. going to happen next. I guess a ceasefire. Did we already talk about the ceasefire? No, you should talk about it. I mean, we we did kind of, but I didn't really know like what. It's just kind of unclear of like what 
why first of all why is the u.s dictating a ceasefire because it doesn't want russia to bomb it's like wh- whoever the rebels are on the ground but the thing is the rebels on the ground are like aligned with al nusra and all these other groups so I, I i actually don't really understand what is happening with the ceasefire or, or if it was initiated or who was initiated by or like how what the terms of agreement were i don't know if you have any more insight on that well it's, i think it was just basically john Kerry um was like in charge of negotiating this ceasefire and it basically uh, the russians requested that we don't strike Assad's forces or Assad mm-hmm. buildings with our military, and that and that our request was that they don't strike, um, uh, re- like FSA and like our our rebels, right? Mm-hmm. So the only non the only like non off limits group to bomb in Syria now, according to the ceasefire, is ISIS and Al Nusra, and. So what's interesting about that is Al Nusra is actually not aligned with ISIS at all. So to have them um, to be like bombing them both and like basically saying in this ceasefire we're only going to be bombing you two guys could actually make them like ally with each other now. Do you know what I mean? Right. That so like whatever distance there was between this like new group isis and these older sort of old school like al-qaeda offshoots there's going to be more reason for them to rally to each other's cause now to fight the u.s together so i almost feel like that's what we want (laughs) because uh yeah you know we just want these things to be just the same you know it's just easier that way it's like oh i mean because in reality like they a, a lot of these rebels look like islamic jihadist like militants to us if we just saw them, we'd be like, oh, that's I-. like we wouldn't be able to tell the difference between ISIS and like a certain kind of like CIA funded rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, a normal person wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, so, yeah, that's I mean, that's the ceasefire. Um, let's see if it'll actually hold. Uh, and even if it does hold, that's still really strange, because what does that mean? We're so the U.S. is agreeing not to bomb Assad forces, but the FSA rebels and like all these other rebels goal there is to overthrow Assad. So I, it just doesn't it still doesn't make sense because it's not a re, it's not like a full ceasefire. It's not like we're telling the rebels to back down. Um, we're just this just has to do with our air force. That's so weird. It is weird. Damn so um, confusing yeah yeah now john Kerry is going out to uh hollywood to meet with the top hollywood producers they don't really say who um to discuss countering the isis propaganda message like in the form yeah, of lo- hollywood film yeah yeah so this is hilarious so this is you know hollywood's relationship with the u.s government's really nothing new i think my brother and i have like talked about this extensively before about you know, it can go from um, basically giving free props, like military props to studios that want to do like pro-US movies, or it can go as extreme as Catherine Bigelow getting actually CIA classified material that the Gitmo like prisoner can't get. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it can go, it can go one or the other where you see all these really close connections with Hollywood. But what's really funny is what you're talking about, because John Kerry just proudly tweeted this absurd tweet of him, like sitting at a fucking round table in some ridiculous like office. And he was just like, yep, just having fun with all these Hollywood executives, just making sure 
like they're countering ISIS well. It was just like, what? Like, it was just really weird to just have them be like, yeah, I'm just, just taking some time to go meet with Hollywood, making sure their narrative's right on track. Yeah, it just doesn't even, I mean, how would they even achieve that to like counter the ISIS message? I mean, what? What does that mean, counter the ISIS message? I mean, I think it just means like some kind of weird, uh, I, I, I mean, they don't say what it means. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're promoting like more Western values or maybe they'll have scenes in movies showing, you know, someone trying to recruit someone into like an Islamic extremist group and then realizing they made a big mistake or something. I don't really know what they could possibly show in like a Hollywood yeah. movie that would sway somebody like considering joining ISIS from like not going there. I'm not exactly, I, I'm confused about that. Um, you know, uh, so, I mean, what, 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 in your mind, what does that even mean to you? Like, what? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just scary because in light of, you know, seeing like the X-Files episode where it's just like this really dumbed down, um, extremely simplistic view of like Islamic terrorism that's like super devoid from reality, whether it's that or it's Homeland or 24 or really all of these things it's like i I don't know um or when you get into movies it's you know american sniper this new one about benghazi i mean i i mean who knows um how much consultation there is going on with the government or not or just knowing that that's going to get you in a more favorable light with the government and therefore like in the future you'll be able to you know get more information or work with them on other projects or whatnot i mean it really is interesting because we always talk about the field of journalism and how people self-censor and stuff like that but hollywood's just a whole other beast and so much more insidious well i mean they actually had like there was a famous like hollywood producer who was like a cia guy for a while and and he was putting i mean like a lot of the stuff he was involved in is like overt propaganda some of it's very good Mm -hmm. um but I feel like this may may mean that like John Kerry is like visiting these producers to like like come up with like some sort of weird grand strategy for like you know producing content in the future that's gonna sway people away from this lifestyle somehow. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, if he was meeting with like Hollywood producers in in like the Middle East or something, it would make it, I guess it would make sense. But I don't really see how this makes sense. Um, cause ISIS, there's nobody in the West who's really, there's not like a lot of people in the West who are going to ISIS. This is that, that's kind of an urban legend that that's happening. I know there are some people, I'm, I'm not denying that, you know, some people from Canada and even America have joined it, but, um, it's the minority of people, I would mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. um, they're just very good at plugging into the West's media matrix. So that's why like all their videos have, you know, English narration. Jihadi John was a British guy. That's what they want to show us. So that we're like we're we're panicking and thinking, oh my God, like all these people from our culture are joining up with this group. Um they're just really good at PR, you know? And we're yeah. and, and and somehow we're I say we're falling for it, but I don't really mean we're falling for it. I mean the government here and the media here wants to fall for it because it's it's that perfect machine. It keeps that fear going. Right. It keeps the purpose going. Right. Right. I mean Yeah. I'm I, I mean, mean I'm it, surprised a group didn't think of doing this before ISIS. I know I keep saying that, but you know, yeah. just the PR oh, apparatus mean, yeah, is yeah, so yeah. brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, well, maybe maybe groups before didn't have like hundreds of millions of dollars in U.S. Um, arms and equipment that they could sell off. I mean, I heard, I've just read that the U.S. dollar is ISIS's main currency. It's just f- ridiculous. I mean, if you think about before, when else has a like a ragtag group of um, terrorists anywhere been able to acquire that much military might and money? Can you ever really, think of that? No, that's a really good point. And you know what's funny is, um, so do you remember I mentioned this on a... <laughs> On an episode like a few months ago, how in James Risen's book, um, he has a whole chapter about how when we first invaded Iraq, we were sending over entire military cargo planes full of pallets of cash, like a half a billion dollars. It's just like an yeah. insane amount of action, just cold, hard cash on pallets, like stacked up. And we gave them out to like top commanders and stuff to basically bribe people all across iraq to get them to join our side so where did all that money go you know right so where is it now right um, right so there's a funny video i mean it's not funny it's it's just really um it's sad actually that the news media is putting this up as like a funny video but there was a um an airstrike on january 5th 15th uh where they released video to all the media like bragging um that a U.S. airstrike on an ISIS cash depot sends money into the air. Uh, and it's just like a literal airstrike on a cash depot. Have you seen this video? No. What? And it's like once the bomb hits, you see like millions of dollars like flying in the air on this satellite uh, video. Um, <laughs> what? That's crazy. It's crazy. Well, think about it this way. All airstrikes have collateral damage, right? Yeah. So they're not even striking people, militants in this. They're striking, they're, they're trying to destroy cash and there's probably like collateral human damage around the cash. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like right. how fucking crazy is that? Right. So this is what we're doing now. It's like we have no shame or we're just don't, we're counting on the fact that no one even knows where this cash came from or no one cares. When it clearly came from us. Like I'm yeah, not, I don't, course, I'm not saying obviously. that we gave it to ISIS. No. I'm just saying, where did all this fucking money come from? Right. Read James Risen's book. Plenty of documentation that we literally flew in multiple military cargo planes, completely filled with cash. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a fact. That right. money is still there. So it's bizarre. I mean, there was so much money in Iraq, and I've, this is a redundant story. I mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again that soldiers coming back from Iraq were trying to deposit the money in all these different bank accounts because there was just such a surplus of cash that they were starting to bring it home. And they actually, some of them got arrested for depositing like $100,000 incrementally in like 10 no different way. banks. Yeah. Yep. What? And isn't that sad too? I mean, yeah, they they committed a crime, but still sad that like a low level soldier who pocketed this money is the one getting in trouble, you know? Like yeah, who should course. really get in trouble for giving out millions of dollars of cold hard cash to like iraqi insurgents and bathists i mean it's the yeah US exactly you know right so right it's so it's just it's just a total clusterfuck um you can watch that video online if you look up u.s airstrike on As- isis cash depot <laughs> it's like all over the place like everybody was loving this video for some reason um so yeah yeah, that's amazing. Well, it, I wanted to really briefly talk about the X-Files thing because I thought it was um, just really strange. It was like, 
out of all the things that you would say, like, I understand we're living in a post 9-11 world and Chris Carter or whatever wanted to like include Islamic terrorism in the episode. I get that. But there were so many other ways that it could have been done. For example, like every other, you know, what I just mentioned before, Homeland 24, all these other things, like they are way smarter the way they do it because they're trying to appeal to like intellectual like liberals who understand about us foreign policy and what it does and like understands blowback. And so that's, that's how like, that's always presented in or how it has been presented. But this was just like completely insane. It was like a Charlie Hebdo style thing where there was just like two 17 year old Muslim kids who like look like you and me, like they like girls. They're like not really devout Muslims, you know, they're partying, they're looking at women. And then they just go blow themselves up in an art gallery because there's a like profit drawing, art piece up it was just like the most devoid of any reality that has to do with like why terrorism exists and i was just really surprised i just wanted to see what you thought about it oh i thought it was total fucking crap yeah um it was awful because when i saw it i was like sitting there thinking okay this is obviously like a red herring these aren't you know this is going to be something else like they're going to show later that when they walked into the art gallery like it was something else that blew it up they wanted, you know, to make you think it was these guys because it's like, you know, in typical X-Files fashion, they usually kind of like flip the script a little bit or do like a red herring, you know, I mean, am I right about that? Like there's usually yeah. a little bit more like kind of story devices going on. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so when I saw that, I just assumed it, they were going to like explain it later as some kind of supernatural thing or something. But nope, right, it was exactly. like a, it was like an actual terrorist attack where Mulder was basically trying to get inside this guy's head to find out how to stop more terrorist attacks, and then they immediately like cut to like a lab showing this guy making suicide vests for more terrorism, like an Islamic looking guy with a beard, and I was just like, this is garbage, right? Um, because first of all, I, I mean. Not even first of all, but just in general, this is a theme that has been running through our podcast since the very beginning. If Islamic terrorism was a real threat here, we would see it. We would experience it. We have literally not had anything resembling like a legitimate Islamic terrorist attack here, in, unless you count 9-11. If you believe that, that can be characterized as that. What has happened here since? Am I missing anything? I mean, even if you count the yeah. Boston bombing, did they say that that was out of jihad or anything like that? I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out where does this mythos even come from? It's like the most self-created, um, non-existent. It's not based in reality at all, and yet it continues today. It's, it's the strangest thing. Um, at least Homeland has a lot of stuff like happening overseas and like covert mm -hmm. CIA operations and stuff. Um, you know, they have a lot of domestic shit too, which is completely cartoonish. But that's the part that's confusing to me is why are we so narcissistic and like trapped in this little fantasy world that we think that, you know, we're always under threat or something. Oh, like, yeah, we're that it, it is really. And, it, and what was funny about this too is that it like took something that did happen in France which is, you know, the terrorist attack on Charlie Hebdo where 
Charlie Hebdo cartoonist died. Um, but it but it conflated it with basically saying that this could happen in America. And, and in fact, it's likely that it could happen. It could happen with anyone that looks like you and and is like young and a cool, like cool acting Muslim. And they and they will still blow themselves up because they're so offended by this cartoon thing. And I just thought, wow, it's like it's like you just said, it's like we're so narcissistic that we're taking something that actually has like a very sordid complex history of like racism and and that cartoon and all of the things that it was doing for years and years and years to demonize muslims and to focus on islam and whatnot and and so much complex things going on in france and apply it to our society and i just thought that that was really uh facile and bad and a weak um a weak plot and i really really did and was hoping that it would be like way more complex. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be like a total twist plot. And then it was just that the whole time. It was very strange. Yeah. I mean, like I've been saying for a while, you've been saying this too, is even just the idea of like suicide terrorism. I mean, that like that specifically has not happened here Mm -hmm. at all. Like, not even an attempted, I mean, as far as I know, I don't even think, has anyone even strapped a bomb to themselves and blown themselves up here in the United States ever? Like, since, like, maybe the 70s or something. I mean, has that happened here? Right. I'm just, like, honestly asking the question because this is, like, the the form that we always see it in. This kind of, like, suicide attack is the scariest kind of attack to us because it's, like, the person doing it doesn't have to escape. So it can really happen anywhere. It can happen in a shopping mall. It can happen in a nightclub, in a movie theater. Um, but it's it's strangely disconnected from reality. Even in Israel, suicide bombings rarely happen. I mean, it's it's like they happened a while back, but like you haven't heard of one happening in a really long time. It's not a common thing anymore. Um, but what is common is like mass shooters here. People blowing right. up, you know, taking out an AK-47 in a movie theater and gunning down like 15 people. I mean, that would have been something that the X-Files could have opened with where I would have been like, wow, that's really scary, you know? Maybe yeah, showing yeah, the Muslim yeah, guys yeah. go into an art gallery and then totally. like a guy... Hello? Yeah, totally. Yeah, Hello? like going, like fucking going into um, art gallery and like starting a mass shooting in there. Like making you think, oh, these Muslim guys, maybe they're terrorists. And then like they get blown away <laughs> by a mass yeah. shooter for no reason. Yeah. I mean, that's actual reality. Um, but for some reason, it's easier for us. I think it's easier for us to project into this like fictional narrative, things like that. You know, they, it's they easier seem for like us they're to just say from their the violence. We don't, we don't do violence. They do violence. It's easier to just understand their, like them, the otherism of like, these people do this. These people cut people's heads yeah. off. These people blow themselves up over cartoons. It's like something that we can never relate to because it's like so... You know, it's like so just barbaric and crazy to think that you would blow yourself up over a cartoon. That's like that's what they want us to to think. And how strange is it too that this is our culture and our and our like sort of entertainment media is so obsessed still with this concept of like an Arab or a Muslim guy strapping a bomb to himself and blowing himself up in, in America. When how often does like the our entertainment culture touch mass shootings that are done by white yeah. people yep. here? Seriously, when is the last time? When is the last time you saw a movie or a show about mass shootings in America? I I can't remember. I think the last I can't remember at all. Was Elephant? I've never even heard of that movie. It's a Gus Van Sant movie about Columbine, and oh, 
Oh, so the first, so basically the iconic, like, you know, yeah. Columbine shooting 20 years ago or whatever. And Great. the only reason I think that movie was sort of able to slip through is because it's very done just without commentary. It's like almost kind of like showing that they had like barely any motivation for doing it. It was um, sort of a very dry examination of the whole thing. It's very creepy. I, yeah. It's, there's no sort of cathartic outlet for that. Like, what are you supposed to do with that fear? You know, you can't hate everybody around you. Right. You can't hate, right. uh, you, you know, but like Islamic terrorism is a perfect outlet. It allows you exactly. to hate and be scared of like a group of people that yep. you rarely ever encounter um, that your government and media has been telling you to be afraid of for the last 15 years. Yeah. So, and then it makes it into this like giant thing where you know whenever a terrorist attack like the charlie Hebdo thing or the horrific attacks in paris or anything that happens in the in western civilization it becomes this crazy thing where people make it all about islam while ignoring that you know once again the vast majority of victims of terrorism are muslims um and how we are carrying out violence or at least our governments are on behalf of us and sponsored by our tax dollars every day that's completely normalized and killing hundreds, if not thousands of people um, every week and month in our names, Muslims that are just getting mm -hmm. wiped off the face of the earth. And it's just a completely normalized thing. So it's just like our violence versus their violence. It's like their violence is barbaric and incomprehensible and, and all. And why do they want to disrupt our, our beautiful, perfect Western They're a lives? death cult. Abby. They're a death cult. Oh, and I wanted to say something else really funny that I saw the new atheists talking about. Um, you know, they always have really just completely unbeatable logic about how religion's the root of all evil in the world. But one other funny thing that they were trying to say was that, oh, okay, so U.S. interventionism has happened all over the world, right? All across Latin America, South America, the coups, the death squads. They're like, where's ISIS? If you're going to blame ISIS on U.S. foreign policy that has caused these vacuums and da-da-da and not religion, where's the ISIS of Latin America? And it was just so funny that this person actually said that because I was like, oh, you clearly haven't done any research, have you? Because not only was there an ISIS-type group, but there were several ISIS-type groups and actually trained and sponsored like literally by the U.S. government. So yeah, let's talk about the ISIS-style groups that were getting trained at the School of Americas and then going off and killing you know, committing massacres of 800 people, hanging them up in trees and, and shit like that all across but Latin Abby, America just mere decades ago. It's Abby, just like, what the hell? They didn't throw gay people off roof. <laughs> they didn't do that. I mean, do you understand that these people move, these people are such teenage mind, uh, like they debate as if they're in like a freshman debate class in high school yeah they they move their go-to tactic is moving the goalposts it doesn't matter if you point out something like that they'll just they'll come up with something as dumb as what i just said mm -hmm, they'll mm -hmm. come up with something extra some extra spice that like only a crazy muslim would do this like no other kind of death squad group would throw a gay guy off a roof or right or cut off a, a woman's clit or stone a woman in the town square. Any, you know, like they'll come up with a, a litany of different things um, that'll just create this like, sort of like extra edge to them. And uh, and I just I just find it funny. I mean, they they refuse to acknowledge. Uh, I mean, it's it's what you just brought up. Reality. It's like the, <laughs> well, yeah, not only reality, but Sam Harris and these other people. They believe that our foreign policy has some kind of altruistic bent to it. They oh, actually no. believe that. 
Yeah. That's and that's a fundamentally flawed framing in which to argue anything from. Because right. if you think that, you're basically having Then you're morally faith. superior. Then you're using moral superiority as your basis of an argument, which automatically makes it like wrong. Yeah. It even goes against traditional military strategic planning too. I mean, if you know anything about like str- strategic like military maneuvering, they don't look at this that stuff with like a moral lens. I mean, a lot here's, of the time they're just gaming shit out. It's here's just, one thing that like totally debunks that. Hillary Clinton. Um, okay, so in 2009 when the Honduran coup happened, if people don't realize that that, that happened, there was a coup on Honduras. And of course, everyone looks to the U.S. when there's a coup. And if the U.S. says it's legitimate, they ignore it and they let the coup happen. Right. This happens all the time. And if it's not the U.S. actually facilitating or sponsoring the coup, it's like their backing of the coup, like basically plays out whatever happens in that country. So this happened in Honduras um, and Hillary Clinton publicly Obama and all these people were saying, oh, my God, it's horrible. Of course, we don't support this this military coup and. Um, Honduras was even like OAS, like said, like they were not going to, you know, you're off our list or whatever. And we give Honduras a shitload of military aid. Um, and so Hillary Clinton in the back channels during this time, and she wrote about this in her book, this like how she's, you know, like she's so stupid enough that she goes out there and says, if Henry Kissinger isn't praising you, then you're bad on foreign policy. So this is how just like arrogant and stupid she is that she actually wrote in her book, how she was proud that she used her position to ensure that the coup would stay and um and after that coup happened homicides in the country and and mind you honduras was already the number one murder rate in the entire world like i can't even wrap my mind around that that homicides actually increased 50 fucking percent after that coup um let alone kidnappings and and i mean honduras is the like most horrible country right now and hillary clinton directly directly because they just had a better neoliberal doctrine that was like t- they wanted to ensure that honduras played out the way that they wanted to they didn't want the democratically elected leader to stay in power and they wanted this coup to happen and that i mean how could that possibly be altruistic you're going against the democratic choices of an entire fucking country subverting the process of their future so you can have better economic ties for your corporations that fund <laughs> your campaign i mean is that that's altruism that's what Sam Harris and these people think is altruistic and morally superior. That's great. Abby, do you understand, though, the U.S. leaders are doing this so they can help their <laughs> their family and, and, and help. Right. You know, I, it's, it's the economy is good for everybody here. Mm-hmm. So if we can make our improve our economy, um, you know, through a, a sympathetic leader to our sort of like economic interest, and that's good for all of us. Right. It's the collective good of the society. It's just for, for the survival of, of the white race. <laughs> um, oh my God, it's just so it's just so frustrating. It's just really, really, really frustrating when I just hear things like that. Well, I loved, I don't know if we even talked about this yet, but I loved um, Nawaz having that panic attack on Facebook. Oh my God. After Max Blumenthal and, and Nafiz Ahmed wrote that takedown of him and talked to like members of his family and basically found out he was like a pathological liar. Who made like oh a constructed well, entire first, myth about his well, past? Tell really quickly. Tell people who this guy is because I don't know if people. I mean, I had no idea who the hell he was. Oh, he's basically like Sam Harris, uh, partner in crime, um, but like UK division. So he's like a reformed Muslim. He calls himself, um, 
and he has a lot of authority and credibility in the new atheist movement because he's like probably the single most popular guy speaking out against Islam who is like a reformed Muslim. And uh, the funny thing about him is he was actually um, part of this group called Quilliam um, that the UK well, he, government... That was his think tank. Yeah. He founded it. Yeah. Oh, did he actually found it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the UK government at one point was funneling like millions of dollars into this think tank for counter um, Islamic extremism, like like some kind of like counter Islamic extremism state program, and they were donating millions of dollars um, to this group. Um, are you still there? So it's just fascinating to me that somehow this guy is really credible among all these new atheist people, and they don't even care um, that David Cameron was paying this much money to his group. Like, it's irrelevant to them. And it's at a certain point, you're wondering, well, how much of what he says is funded propaganda? Um, and it's hard to tell, because the shit that he says um, is manipulative. Um, it uses lies of omission. It's working within completely false framing most of the time, like that article I was reading earlier about um, how Putin, how Obama's letting Putin win in Syria. Look at all his articles about foreign policy. This is when I think the weak spots of these new atheists show, show the most. When you read their writings on foreign policy and what America's role in foreign policy is supposed to be, because you can start seeing the neocon lies sort of creeping out um, if you just look at their writings on Islam and other things, sometimes they're able to make convincing sounding arguments, but it's working from, I mean, pretty much their worldview is working from a false framing of U.S. altruism. And you could detect that immediately when reading the articles. But basically this guy um, is the, he, he's the one who coined the term regressive liberal. So it's left. like the opposite of progressive. You're actually regressive, left. regressive if you don't uh, go after Islam or if you don't criticize Islam. You're regressive because because in in his uh, sort of paradigm, Islam represents the opposite of liberalism. So just like someone like Robert Kagan and and other people, he is bastardizing what the term liberalism means to basically force in an internationalist, liberal interventionist mindset, which is that outside of the borders of our country, if people are acting or countries or anybody has like non-liberal way of acting, like their society is not liberal, like they stifle women or, or anything like that, then... Um, if you don't, if you're not concerned about that and you don't actively want to stop that, um, that pretty much makes you a regressive, um, is yeah, his claim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's really, yeah. Keep going. Oh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about, I mean, I mean you, you just, you, you just explained it perfectly. And I think that, um, what's really damaging about it is that, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's basically just conditioning everyone to to think that liberalism and being on the left means that you hate islam and want to invade muslim countries i mean it's just completely batshit crazy i don't think many people buy into it because 99 percent of all of their followers are all just like rabid islamophobes so it's just like really yeah. startling when you see oh wait you guys don't care about gay rights or women you guys actually hate gay people and like are obsessed with feminism and third wave feminism as it's as if it's like some giant threat 
And and I noticed the recent wave of like attacks. It's so funny too because every time you tweet about this, like an army of his trolls come after you, like come on your Facebook and all this stuff, and they say the dumbest shit. And it's always concern trolling. If people out there listening don't know what concern trolling is, it's when you pretend, it's when you pretend you're something else, and you act concerned about something. So it's like. It's like when someone uh, when someone would tweet to you or Facebook message you and say, "Abby, you know, I really was like a fan of your show before, but you be, you're becoming like really illiberal. You're you're starting right. to sound really regressive, and I don't know if I can be a fan of you right now unless you right. go after like Islam. Right, it's, right. It's like what? It's yeah. like no one in the world who has heard of you or heard anything you've done or listened uh, to this show or watched Breaking the Set or Empire Files." Uh, could even possibly think that. It makes yeah. absolutely no sense how someone could say that about your work who has paid attention to you before. Yeah. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And the amount of people saying that kind of thing to you on Twitter and Facebook was so funny because it was all manufactured. It was yeah. almost like they they know that that's the only way to really try to get under someone's skin is to concern troll them. Right. Um, because other things don't work. It's just like... <laughs> They're resorting. It just, it just. I guess it just makes me feel like they're more pathetic than they let on. But well, um, it's funny and it's very obvious because like a lot of them were super misogynists, surprisingly. Um, oh yeah, you know, saying a lot of click you cutting off your, comments you going get your on. Clit, you should get your clit cut off and then talk and stuff like that. And I was just like, why is it that all these people ref- like refuse to accept that they're misogynists and bigots? I was like, and then I tweeted out that that guy saying I should get my clit cut off and that I'm a well groomed meat puppet. Um. And he was like, but that does not make me a misogynist. And I was just like, wow, that's so weird. And then like I tweeted it out. It's like pretty incontrovertible that that guy is a misogynist if you say that to someone. But yeah. instead, I got a flurry of responses from people who were like, like, oh, misogynist. Oh, another trope, another like like empty trope, uh, just empty definition. It's like, what? Like so bigotry and misogyny, like what What actually would constitute bigotry and misogyny these people? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it's so funny. Is there a too threshold the, or? These, these people who go around screaming about PC police and, and empty words like that, it's like at a certain point you have to wonder, dude, why are you so obsessed right. with people using real words? Like so obsessed with acting like those words have no meaning. Right. You know? Like, right. Like the word, like it reminds me of those people who talk about how anti-Semitic means nothing because all Arabs are right, Semitic. It's right, like, right, right. Dude, why are you so obsessed with making that point? I'm actually thinking now, are you anti-Semitic? Because right. you're so fucking obsessed with right. bringing that up. It's right. actually really suspicious to me. Right. So it's the same thing with these people. When they obsess about feminism, obsess about using the word, the term misogyny, it's like, at a certain point, you have to wonder why. Right. And I honestly think a lot of these people are like young, younger, late in their late teens or early twenties. It's it explains a lot about the way that they behave on the internet. But I have more respect for people who are openly mm-hmm. bigoted and transparent and candid about their bigotry rather than quasi intellectuals who pretend that they're not bigoted and who are clearly misogynist and bigoted. The amount of these quasi intellectual people. Who, who go around with this point of view, I, I just find it fascinating. Um, but I mean, luckily, I don't know very many people like this in real life. I know a couple uh, people who have sort of fallen into the Sam Harris rabbit hole. And uh, 
it it does become a little cult like at a certain point. You realize that for whatever reason they're they, they have a lot of uh they're very influential. I just don't know like how much more influential they're going to be because when I started talking about this I was just mentioning how he was panicking over this hit piece. You know, it wasn't even a hit piece. It was just like it's a pretty good slam on him from for a lot of different reasons, but he called Nafiz a truffer on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. He said it was a tabloid hit piece written by a truffer. He called it. Right. Right. So this is I mean, you would think someone being funded millions of dollars by the Cameron government would have already brushed up his like, you know, rhetoric a little bit better. But this is, I think this is the new atheist panic mode era. We have Sam Harris talking about how he'd rather vote for Ben Carson, uh, or he trusts Ben Carson uh, on the Middle East more than Noam Chomsky. So you have, you have these new atheists going a little bit uh, further than they went before in their rhetoric and saying things where it's actually, I think a lot of normal people are going to start being like, wait, what, what did you say? You'd rather vote for Ben Carson than Noam Chomsky? Like, I don't like Chomsky either, but wait, why would you say that? Like, Oh my God, did you just, see Noam Chomsky respond to that, though? It was amazing. No, I didn't. Um, so Al Jazeera interviewed Noam Chomsky recently, and the Al Jazeera guy was a guy who Richard Dawkins, I forget his name, Richard Dawkins um, did an interview with him like a year ago or whatever and like mocked him the whole time about whether or not he believes in a winged horse because apparently in the Quran... Muhammad flies a winged horse to heaven or something. I don't fucking know. But it was just like a really cringeworthy interview because Dawkins just kept like doubling down on that point and saying like anyone who believes that, like how could he even have a conversation with them? And then turns out like a couple months later that Dawkins now, even though he ha he had that interview with the that Muslim guy on Al Jazeera, he refuses to do interviews now with any Muslims who believe in the winged horse thing. He like went on set and like asked this Muslim guy who was going to interview him like knowing before he went on there that the guy was Muslim, you know, and, and agreed to do this interview and goes on set and says wow. like, do you believe in the winged horsing? And the guy was like, yes. And he was like, I can't talk to you. And like, walked Holy off. shit. Oh man. Yeah. This is, this is beautiful. Yeah. No, I and mean, so I really is, have so to say is, like, yeah, it's like the watching the, it's just watching the total collapse of like Christopher Hitchens <laughs> towards the end of his miserable fucking life. What use is it to just talk about how evil someone is over mm -hmm, and over mm -hmm, again? It mm -hmm, just doesn't make mm -hmm, sense. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you are intellectual, even if you are really believe it, you even have to maybe check in with yourself at a certain point. Like, why am I writing so much about how bad Muslims are over and over again? I wanted to. I wanted to also move on really quickly to another kind of sycophantic audience that i just encountered right before this interview which is bernie sanders supporters um i wanted oh to preface God. this i just wanted to preface Ugh. this conversation by saying i totally a hundred percent agree with his domestic agenda i a hundred percent totally believe that we should have totally free universal health care free college education everything that he says i love in terms you know breaking up the big banks da 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 um, the problem is, and I think that it's really important for people to not be sycophantic, blind idiots and just be able to talk about facts. And, you know, you can look at the spectrum of candidates and say, yeah, clearly Bernie Sanders is the most liberal. Clearly, Bernie Sanders is the most anti-war, but it doesn't make him anti-war. And I think pointing out certain facts about what concerns me about his foreign policy shouldn't cause people to become like 
fucking babies and be like you're you're playing to the neocons oh what who's better hillary oh saddam like i brought up the fact that for example bernie sanders voted for regime change in iraq twice in 1998 um i think that's a significant thing because it's just going back to the whole neoliberal side of of um foreign policy which is the interventionism which is the humanitarianism which is the sanctions, which is the no-fly zones and funding rebels. Yeah, it might, might not be ground invasions of tens of thousands of U.S. forces, but these things still do maintain empire in an extremely dangerous way and exacerbate terrorism. I think that that's really important to just bring up. And I think that bringing up these things, if Bernie Sanders does have a chance of winning, is good because it's going to push him into maybe not supporting those things. And I think if more people voice the fact that having a Saudi-led coalition in the Middle East is the most batshit thing you can ever suggest, I think that's really good. And I think that more of his supporters should actually band together and, and, and force his hand on those things because I think that is really responsible. And I think that just ignoring and neglecting the things that we don't like about certain people is playing into this whole you know sweeping under the rug and let's just band together unite blue and i just i'm just a little bit perturbed because you know i just saw this right before we started the interview i just got like a slew of hateful messages people saying i'm blocked i'm how dare i thought i was better than that just because i tweeted out just a fact about bernie sanders voting for this thing that i didn't know about before and i thought it was significant um you know i still totally support his domestic policy but i'm not going to my whole issue is empire and he is inarguably going to maintain empire so i mean yeah he would be the best person to maintain the empire but it's not going to change the empire and you know it's just it's just a little bit upsetting to me i just wanted to see what you thought about that i think the i think the hillary clinton uh thing was like everyone knew it was like, I mean, I have to give it to Bernie for at least trying to challenge that supremacy because holy oh, shit, oh, can yeah, you yeah, imagine, yeah. No, can you imagine like the bribery that was going on? Like the DNC is so Clinton nights. Um, all the superdelegates have, you know, Clinton has them in the bag. It's like you have, we've already had this Clinton dynasty, the blue dog Dems and all this shit. It's like they already own the process so much and they already knew that Hillary like was, couldn't even handle it when she lost last time that they knew who the fuck would want to go up against that cash cow it's even still though it's still you would still think that other people would do it just for like the symbolism you yeah know? of course of like course. the fact like, that Warren, it started that out like, like waiting for like warren to jump in the race and stuff and yeah it i was mean surprising that no one did i mean how many other people did it was like three other it was chaffee o'malley and that other guy i forgot his name um and I just, I, I'm just blown away by that, that that's what we had. There wasn't even anybody like from outside the political establishment who ran, wanted to run under the Democratic ticket. So I'm, I keep going back to that because to me, that's the most troubling thing about all of this for me. And it remains to be, it's like, and the fact that Hillary Clinton is still seems like she's going to win. I mean, I don't know. Like it's, I really feel like, you know, we, we barely talk about Trump uh, on this podcast, but I really feel like that. Everybody, including Democrats, but especially Republicans, they downplayed Trump's ability to rise in this election so much that now they're actually fucked because of it. Instead of like trying to fight Trump and trying to like counter what he was saying, they tried to downplay and marginalize him like they did to Ron Paul when he was running. And I think that's actually unlike Ron Paul, because Ron Paul was never like polling number one. This completely backfired on them. 
to the point now where they're actually I've actually seen neocons talking about um, that if Trump wins the GOP nomination, that Hillary might be the only choice. Oh, yeah. No, I think that if Trump wins, I mean, we're definitely going to see. I mean, Hillary's going to win. I think that we already know that, you know, it's looking ridiculous with the superdelegate process that it would be absurd if she didn't win because of just how rigged it is already. Like, <clears throat> and, you know, all like the southern states with Bill Clinton's stronghold and like the, the black south, basically. And I just think that that's going to be a really hard thing to break. But I think that if she does win the primary, I mean, Trump is obviously going to win, too. And I guarantee you that more people in the ruling class want Hillary than Donald Trump. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be like a total no brainer. And, you know, we're going to see a shitload of neocons running to Hillary's side. Probably the majority of them. That's oh, my God. I mean, I, I just I was gaming this out a little bit more in my head. Um it's going to be crazy because all the all the PNAC neocons. I mean, like Dan Senor was advising Jeb and Rubio um, in the in the campaign, um, and once they're out, who's he going to advise? You know, Robert Kagan and Mitt Romney were advising. Um, I mean, sorry, Robert Kagan and Dan Senor were advising Mitt Romney in the 2012 election, and they probably didn't really want to want him. You know, I mean, no Republican could really mm-hmm. seriously say that Mitt Romney was a great candidate. I think most people are disappointed. So in a weird way, Hillary's almost like more a good neocon candidate than Romney. Oh, absolutely. I mean, really, she really is. Absolutely. Um, so that's going to be really fascinating. If, if Trump wins, we're going to see panic in the neocon world like we have never seen before. Um, oh, my God. And, that's the, and then that's the only, I mean, it's really the only reason I'm like, like not thankful, but just happy that, you know, someone like Trump is at least fucking their show up. But yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the only aspect I'm happy about. It's like right. his wrecking ball narcissism right. is making this more fun than usual. Right, right. And it's making them panic. You know, that's good. But at the same time, like he is, he does is scary as fuck. And he does have like fascist, like overt fascist qualities um, that his supporters seem to be unable to see. They think, Oh, he's such an outsider. He's so refreshing. It's like, well, probably the same people probably said that about Hitler too. And I'm not saying he's hit like he's going to be as bad as Hitler, but like, I mean, he's obviously uh, not playing by anybody's like rule book, you know. I mean, but it's a it creates an interesting dilemma then then too because it's like, who would be better to have control over our nuclear codes, Hillary or Trump? I mean, I think Hillary would be a. Um I mean, she's just, she's so much worse than Obama in terms of just like a corporate shill and just so much more worse of like a rabid hawk that it's, but then Trump is just like in a league of his own. I mean, I don't even, all I can base it on is because he has no political experience on his rhetoric. So it's like, I mean, his rhetoric's inflammatory as fuck and crazy and it's scary as hell. But like, we know that Hillary's also extremely dangerous and already has the backing of Wall Street and defense contractors. So it's like, it really uh-huh. is going to be an extremely interesting election. I think it's the weirdest election that's ever happened in America, where we have this like reality star, unhinged dude like Trump, and then you have Bernie Sanders, like a self-proclaimed socialist, even though he doesn't, he's not really a socialist, and then Hillary. It's like, what the fuck is this? You it's know, and then so, like a Hewlett-Packard it- CEO, it's just like a complete joke. And how strange is it, too, that, like, we have a socialist running 
who is virtually bare i mean he's like barely talking about foreign policy it's like shifting all of the liberal agenda over to like domestic issues only yeah I because mean, where are you going to get the money it's like yes of course um tax you know the, the hedge fund tax and all that stuff that's great but unless you talk about and i'm really sick of people apologizing for him and saying oh because this, this is what i heard when obama was running oh he's gonna do that he's gonna address that he knows he can't win and if he talks about the military now it's like no, that's crazy. That's why people loved Ron Paul, um, because he went up there and he was like, we yeah. don't, we need to cut our military by this and that. We, we need to shut down this many bases. Drones are killing more innocent people than terrorists. It's like, I, I think Bernie Sanders would get amazing support if he did that. Like, I would really be happy if he did that. I think a lot of people would. And I think a lot of people who understand that we don't want to live in an empire that's killing all these people around the world and destroying so much i think that they would be really refreshed to see someone like bernie sanders really take take that head on and address that um so i don't I buy that right. i don't buy that whole like oh he's waiting he knows he can't win why that you got to take risks dude you got to take risks you got to say what the people want to hear people want to hear that it's just it, people get sucked into this and it, mm-hmm. and it it's sad because right. yes it's always crucial to bring up these issues leading up until the day of the actual voting the fact that people are like hands off already or like oh he's just got into the presidency like don't you know give him a break give him like some time it's like what are you talking about this is how you know our democracy is so fucked up here that this is really one of the only tools we have to make change is to create pressure right away right Right. like there was actually some smart Right. maneuvering on the, even though the democrats and liberals were dumb enough to get excited over obama if you remember back to when he first got into office even people like rachel maddow and other sort of like milk toast liberals were very disappointed by some of his initial steps and they were putting a lot of pressure on him at the very beginning and it was kind of like they just got gave up at a certain yeah point. yeah yeah well that's really think- funny that you say that because i remember when he first got elected and that's when he had majority over the house and senate when he could have done all those sweeping things yep. that he promised to do and he didn't that was the time that we were getting pressure Team by of rivals these Abby. idiots saying don't pressure him yet he just got in office we have to wait at least a year Oh, well, yeah. guess what happened? You assholes, he didn't do anything. And then, <laughs> and then two years later, then you're like, oh, look, he can't do anything now. The Republicans hate him. He can't yeah, yeah, do yeah. anything. What is he supposed to do? It's like, I'm sick of these apologies, dude. He's, oh my God. I mean, he's, yeah, it's just, it's really, And it really is sad. true. I mean, and then the flip side of it, it is true that like Republicans have been like cartoonishly obstructionist to him. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah. That's also true, but it right, doesn't, that is it's true. not an excuse at all for him not moving on all these things, right. especially Gitmo. I mean, and, and that should have been even more of a reason. He should have realized how much the Republicans hated him and said, wow, this is going to be a really hard term. I need to get this shit passed now. Yeah. Like, you don't think that he knew? You don't think that he knew? the obstructionism that was going to happen in his term of course he did i mean yeah. there's so many like uh, you know people who were calling him all these the muslim thing the birther thing racism all these things that were going against him and he knew the leverage that he had and he used none of it because he spent his whole time in office being a nobody and capitulating to these assholes who hated him i'm sorry i don't have any respect for someone who does that like, I would have much rather him taken so many risks and gone out there and done so many things and risked losing his, like, whatever moderate popularity among, like, 
moderates. Is, I mean, if that's what he was going for, then I guess he succeeded at being like a completely milquetoast moderate nobody who did nothing but maintain Bush policies and normalize them. Great job! Mm-hmm. And then pulled out of uh, Iraq only to let like the entire narrative become <laughs> about how we created like this vacuum there, which like ISIS took over. Like the fact, I don't even feel like he's no, mounted. Robbie, sectarianism, don't you understand? It has nothing <clears throat> oh, to do with the world. God, oh man, that's Robbie. you know that's one of the most infuriating things to me. These quasi intellectuals mm-hmm. who read the Economist, who when they talk about geopolitics, all they want to talk about is a sectarian conflict. Like you have no moral compass in this you're just repeating parroting talking points you've read in like harper's and the new yorker like i don't want to fucking talk to you it's it's total intellectual masturbation like this is a fucking disaster where people are dying every day and america has is more to blame than anybody else so if you want to talk about all the sectarian conflicts and how you know the civil war and all that shit and and how like these factions just can't get along because they're so no that's you know, bullshit. deeply hate each other no it's that's like, complete oh, bullshit fuck yourself no that's man. complete bullshit that's been so proven wrong time and again like that same guy that i was telling you about the al jazeera guy he did a good video explainer about sectarianism versus like politics you yeah know, like religion versus politics and he just broke down every faction that's that has to do with like sectarian like rhetoric like we hear you know that's just like debased or generalized into just merely sectarianism and he broke down all these different factions in syria and iran and in iraq and libya and it was all purely political because when you break it down it's like there's factions that should hate each other if you're just going by islamic doctrine that are working together and vice versa and it's like everything has to do with just like political grievances that have just manifested into like what we call sectarianism from like western a Western mm-hmm. lens of people who actually have no idea what the hell is going on in the ground. Um, it was really good. But it's just like, it just really bothers me when I hear stuff like that. It's like, do people know that we actually drew sectarian lines and like, like divided Iraq within like ethno sectarian um, like lines and actually exacerbated all these tensions when we got in there? I mean, and that's, and that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's a fall. It's a framing that, that gives us a pass. Because it's like anything that spirals out of control, at a certain point, you can always just say, well, yeah, we did, you know, meddle there. But like the sectarian conflict is so strong that like that's what's, you know, driving all this now. It's such an out. And I'm sick of hearing it. I really am. Because first of all, virtually no American here in this country, unless you've lived in the Middle East and then that area, you have absolutely no context and real knowledge and experience from what you're talking about. It's right. pure intellectual fucking masturbation. masturbation. Yeah. And I'm sick of it. I'm, I, it. It's In some ways, it makes me more sick than people just talk. I mean, again, it's this weird thing. It's like I have more respect for people who talk about carpet bombing than people who talk like that because there's something weird and very like filled with denialism when people obsess about the sectarian conflict it's like you're intellectually capable of seeing the full picture here but yet you choose to obsess over this little aspect to like make yourself feel better right it's 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 almost like a mental illness to me right and this is what like this is kind of the narrative now you see everywhere. Like whenever it gets to the next intellectual level of like talking about these conflicts, it's always sectarian. Always. Right. It's like the new way that people talk about it. And I absolutely refuse to talk about it that way. I'm going to talk about America's role. And if you right. have a problem with that, 
then get the fuck away from me. I'm not right. here to like listen to you defend American empire. Right. I'm, I'm done with you people. Right, I am right, totally right. done. There's what no was, point. What was really interesting too is when I, when I talked about the Bernie Sanders voting for the regime change in 1998, um, like half the replies were people actually saying, oh, so you support Saddam. And these are like Bernie supporters saying like, well, Saddam was an evil dictator like that should have gotten toppled. So, and... And you're like, oh, whoa. So like, even though you still are the kind of person who sees that the Iraq war was completely disastrous, you still support regime change? Like, what? how would that regime change have happened? So like, okay, so it's the same thing with Syria and Libya. Yeah, we didn't go in there with like tens of thousands of ground forces, but like, so do you support that style of regime change? Because that's fucked. And that is completely yeah. not like... Yeah, it might be better in terms of like loss of American lives, but not really better in the long run, my friend. And also you know, really disastrous and a really, really horrible tendency of empire to just swallow up all these countries that have um, different tendencies or leaders who don't go completely in line with what the U.S. wants. Yeah, I mean, if it was, this is the thing that these people are too, It's it speaks to a sense of brainwashing and nationalism for them to always bring up how evil saddam was there are lots of evil leaders across the world the question is why are we picking and choosing certain ones to go after at certain times and why do you act like that's not totally bizarre like right. that's it's like sure i'll concede that saddam was a really bad person but why are you rationalizing going after him then and for this reason, like right. you have to address both, you have to address that aspect of right, the lie. Exactly, exactly. And 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 there's a really interesting argument. You can go back and watch people like Russ Feingold, and this is actually when I first heard of Lincoln Chaffee. He's already dropped out of the race, so it's it's kind of unfortunate because he was way more anti-war than Bernie Sanders, like by I mean yeah. huge amounts. You can read his foreign policy positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was one of the only Republicans to vote against the Iraq War when it first came up in 2003 and and russ feingold and him are sitting there arguing with paul wolfowitz for like 20 minutes about why saddam was the most evil dictator to take out and they're both talking about how i guess when the bush administration first got into office there was like a liberian massacre where the dictator in liberia at the time had like was just killing thousands of people in the country like like and it wasn't stopping yeah. So they were kind of wondering, well, why why isn't this something you guys right. are going like this is actually happening now when Saddam right. was killing his own people, like you say, that was years when the ago. US was backing him, yeah. So long ago that it's almost they were basically saying it's so long ago that you can't even really say that as a reason to invade now. Like right. that's not a reason. Right. And and he just had no answer. Right. He was totally backpedaling. And then he basically gave at the final his final answer was he gave the the actual neocon reasoning, which is the real reasoning why they went in. He was like, after 9-11, um, we felt that Saddam Hussein um, was too dangerous to let exist. Right. And that's true. I mean, to the, in, in their eyes, that 9-11 was the thing that they felt gave them the license to start going after all these people who they already right. wanted to go exactly. after. Exactly, exactly. And he's and he pretty much says that. I just, but he says it with all this moral language, you know, colorful language. It's just so language, annoying right? that it's become. It was like people got it. I feel like during, like, 
It's just all of a sudden, now that ISIS is on the map, the conversation has changed where now I'm battling people every day about why it, why American empire is bad. And it's like, wait, what is happening? How short term are people's memories? I mean, didn't we States all live through the I mean, Iraq war? Like, good God. Yeah. I mean, how how much convincing does it take or how much time needs to pass before you completely forget what happened? It's just it's, it's it's super frustrating to now it's like not cool anymore. Now we're regressive. We're talking about the empire. Oh, you're not liberal. You're not criticizing Islam or ISIS. Well, what are you going to do about ISIS? It's like the weirdest thing, man. It's just this crazy propaganda campaign that's made puts us like forces up uh, us against the wall and made us feel guilty for actually talking about crimes that we're paying for. Why should I feel bad about literally saying I don't want to pay to kill people anymore with my money? It's this. It's just so silly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's, insane. It's insane. I, I, but I am impressed though how well the sort of propaganda machine is still working. You know, it's not. It's not the same. Like moving. It's not like when it was during Bush. It was this like train, this unstoppable train that we could point to and be like, oh, look at that train. That's a fucking crazy train. But now it's like, we can't even see the train. We just we can just feel this m- narrative being weaved through all of the media, including right. all these independent outlets. And it's like, we have to, you have to search for the actual breadcrumbs for the truth now. And that's a really, that just makes it a lot easier, I think, for regular people who, to get sucked into it and to yeah. just go along with it. Yeah, um, and like I and you don't I, have someone like Bush in charge of it all to make people be like, oh, that guy is an evil asshole, you know, moron. It's yeah. like, it's it, it's like I think I mean, and and we've talked about this before too. Like, you know, maybe Trump, if he wins, people that were that used to be on our side will wake up again. You know, that's that's the most hopeful outcome of that equation. And um, and and to defend, I wanted to say to to defend like Bernie Sanders. A little bit because i think that the attacks against them are really funny because people like even hillary you know here she's like sitting on these transcripts of her five thousand dollar a minute speeches to goldman sachs um where she refuses to release them why why are you refusing to release these transcripts what what were you paid five thousand dollars a minute to say to these banks i would love to know but it's funny because what she's done is Bernie Sanders' like rhetoric has forced her to now pretend to be like a populist, which is hilarious. And it's just this whole election cycle is turning out to be so funny. Because here's like the biggest corporate shill you can ever have, like adopting this populist rhetoric, <laughs> you know, and then and then saying like, oh, well, I'm different because, you know, once again, intellectually bribing people just because she's a woman, as if that matters at all. And in fact, she has like the lowest support among young women voters. It's actually really pathetic. So her pandering is not working. But on, on top of that, she keeps saying, I'm not just going to give you free stuff. I'm I'm not just going to put out pie in the sky ideas that have no plan. I'm not just going to say, oh, free this, free that. I'm not just going to make all these promises that aren't feasible. It's like, that's what really bothers me because you have someone like her saying, oh, Bernie Sanders, what he's saying, which is, by the way, so fucking normal and so not radical at all and so able to pay for from our taxes that it's like a joke. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, we have uh, 
tons of countries that we can point to and say this is how they've done it so done but it's just so funny that that's what she's now like reverted to where she's like no like i'm gonna be the more realistic one. Oh yeah he can go up there and say this and that 15 dollars an hour minimum wage i know what's realistic and i know that this and that it's like making it seem like that can't happen which is so absurd because anyone who who looks at that argument they're like yeah we it's totally unrealistic to ask for these things. Have those people voiced out against subsidies for giant agriculture farms, you know, giant defense corporations, the trillions of dollars just blown on the wars. I mean, I, I just read this study that the cost of the Iraq war, you know, here we are, the earth is like catapulting toward irreversible climate change. The cost of the Iraq war alone could have paid for not national investments global investments to halt every single climate change trend like literally cure fucking the environment is just the cost of the iraq war you know so don't tell me that these things are um pie in the sky absurd notions to have healthcare and education so that no, that really I mean, irritates me a lot when i've heard people like say like oh you just you know, it's like the poor shaming. It's like, oh, all these poor people just want free stuff. It's like, no, the poor people are giving their taxes just like the rich people aren't. <laughs> you know, the rich people aren't giving as much taxes. It's like the poor people are giving taxes too. The, the, you know, it's just the whole myth of like the welfare queen that's been debunked or mm -hmm. black and black crime. It's just like these myths that continue to denigrate poor people and say you don't deserve things that you should have because you give taxes education and healthcare should be rights if in the richest country in the world it's so funny that the, the way that they t uh i hear this our talking point all the time where it's like well if we make tax corporations pay their fair share of taxes they'll pay they'll pass it on to us they'll make us pay more it's like yeah 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 it's like well so you're basically defending a corporation's right to not pay taxes like every other american citizen who'd be like thrown in jail if they didn't yeah. That's so because you're because you want to save a few extra cents on like a box of tissues or something. It's just so such a bizarre thing to say. And to me, the only argument against what you're like the, all this stuff that Bernie Sanders is proposing, the only valid argument in my mind against it, like if you really wanted to come up with a point against it, would be like, okay, what happens if we are given free healthcare? You know, what is right. our like obesity? ratio compared to all the countries in europe we have a really serious health a lot of health problems here where we live very very irresponsibly like there are a lot of people who are live very unhealthily have terrible diets here and who live like they don't care about their body or taking care of themselves at all and in europe they have a much lower problem with that so in some ways like free health care over there works better like if we if free health care was given to us here like there would be some people who I'm not saying that people would be taking advantage of it, but there would be people in serious need of like a really serious healthcare who live very irresponsibly. And that's like a, that's, a, that's like the only argument I can make. It <laughs> Just cause you because think like, that it would be like have too an, much. <laughs> yeah. We have like an extra aspect here of like living completely beyond our means and like living like total fucking idiots <laughs> I mean, look at the amount of energy we consume. Oh, I'm you know? top energy consumer in the world. And that that alone is just mind-blowing. It's like, so there needs to be like definitely some like education about 
you know, how do we get ourselves to live more within our means, you know, like Europeans who right. have this sort of social, uh, what do you call it, like democratic socialism and stuff? I just read, um, wait, two things really quickly before I forget. One is that I I think it was Norway just opened the first supermarket full of foods that would normally be thrown away. It's like the like more disfigured fruit and vegetables that are just like tossed and they and it's like a special store now just for people to go to like get what they call like garbage food or whatever. I think it's really cool. Like they're just initiatives like that. Like they seem small, but think about all the food that's wasted and stuff like that. <clears throat> you know, I, I went to Cuba for a while and did a series of reports and I was really surprised to learn that Cuba actually had one of the lowest rates of violence and crime in the entire hemisphere. And also, of course, because of their universal health care, they have rates of, you know, infant mortality and, and death that are comparable to like top European nations because of their mm-hmm. exemplary health care for their citizens. But I think the most important thing is that the basic needs of shelter and even even if they have pieces of shit houses that look like shit, that's it, it's you're still providing some sort of shelter and you're also providing basic health. And I think if you trace a lot of criminality, I think it's a lot of desperation that is coming from joblessness, homelessness, and um and being sick and like having you know like you don't have money to pay for your hospital bills, you resort to stealing. I mean, it's just a, or resort to some sort of criminality. You don't have a home. It's just like all these things when you're just constantly worrying about how to survive. So like when you have basic survival needs met, then we can start to address crime and understanding structural violence and how things cultivate in a society. But I think that that's that's my argument for universal healthcare because I think a it's a right when you have the richest country in the world that has an, an insane amount of surplus taxes that we're spending to kill people why not spend that money to provide health care and then we can really talk about once once people are, are provided these things um, how we can benefit society and improve society but i think that until those things are taken care of it's going to be really hard to get to the root and to really solve the the crisis you know when so many people are just in fucking dire poverty i just read this study this is going to make you cry 51 percent of um public school students are in poverty and food insecure so that means public school so of course there's this drive to privatize schools and charter schools but then on top of that all the teachers who are already paid shit salaries now have to go into school and deal with like half their students who are coming in with like no shoes dirty um maybe like didn't eat for an entire weekend you know like they're it's just like they're turning their role into counselor lawyer it's like the most absurd burden on the public school system to have this inequality just like gap just widening more and more every year from the yeah. system that we live in. Guess who's one of the biggest like proponents who's like a really big PR face for charter school? DeRay. <laughs> well, besides him. No, it's uh, Dan Senor's wife, Campbell Brown. Weird. Ex CNN reporter, she's like a Whoa. huge face of this movement, and when when it comes up like on television and like in the news, she's for some reason I don't know if she wrote a book about it or what, but she's like she's like the talking head for it. Whoa! 
and it's, it's a kind of fascinating. That's really well. That you have her husband, singers. a total warmonger, neocon, yeah. Zionist, psychopath, and then her like trying to get rid of the public school system. Well, it just totally makes no sense. It's another thing you can look at European countries and and look at Norway. I hate to bring up Norway again, but their school system is the best in the. Or I'm sorry, Finland. Finland's school system is the best in the world. Why? Because they cater to individual child's needs, and they don't just have standardized systems that you know rate teachers in classrooms and give them less funding if they mm-hmm. don't like rate better and it and it you know if you're living in poverty obviously you're not going to get as high as a score because you're worried about how you're going to eat it's like just so sad you know it's just a completely rigged system and doesn't make any sense the fact that schools are being shut down and and privatized here is like just insane every single neoliberal thing that has happened like the flint water switch schools being privatized it's like yeah i don't think we've seen really any benefit of out of neoliberalism other than like complete disastrous environmental and public health effects so i don't know if anyone else is trying to turn that around or what but um i wanted to say something really interesting about bernie sanders and unions because um i didn't know this until mike told me about one of the biggest unions seiu that like basically just endorse they endorsed hillary early on and their whole thing has been the $15 an hour minimum wage, which out of all the candidates, Bernie's the, the only one who said he does support that. And Hillary hasn't said that. She just said that she supports an increase in the minimum wage. So I think it's really interesting that whole rigging too, where not only you have a, an entire union who has like put forward this campaign for the last year, making all of their members like rally and organize behind $15 an hour minimum wage, but then they automatically just like support the establishment corporatist candidate you know and not only that robbie but all their union members are now forced to campaign for hillary like if i if any union member is now forced to do like phone banking door-to-door knocking and actually go out and campaign for hillary not just the union endorsing her is that crazy it's really depressing but (laughs) that's crazy i had no idea that that was going on Oh, I wanted to mention, yeah, there's something else that happened recently that sort of created a weird, like, debate online, I noticed, like a really heated debate. Did you hear about this? I think it was the South Carolina caucus where a woman, like a civil rights activist, Hispanic uh, woman, got up to try to do a speech, and then, like, someone, they claimed from the Bernie camp, or a bunch of people from the Bernie camp were screaming English only what at her did you hear about any no of this? oh the bernie okay. bro thing where people are like saying that there's like bernie bros is that what you're talking it's about kinda it's i think that it was meant to be to like be part of that yeah, yeah like yeah. anti-bernie campaign but i'll just describe it really quickly yeah. if, you, if you haven't heard of it but uh so this i don't remember her name but you can look it up online uh she was she was speaking at this like supposed to be like an unbiased like moderated panel for both candidates um, where you're you're not supposed to like go up and endorse a candidate. It turned out that she had already actually endorsed Hillary Clinton for president, um, like many months ago, or maybe even like in the previous election. Um, but for some reason, she was allowed to go up there and speak anyways. And she started speaking in Spanish. And someone from the audience um, asked her to get a translator. Um, and then someone else from the audience, I guess, asked her to speak English only. And... Uh, what, what ended up happening is the moderator, who's supposed to be like a neutral party, he's not endorsing Bernie or Hillary, at this this convention stage thing, um, told her, we can't find a translator, um, can you please do your speech in English? They like actually tried to find one in the audience, like yeah, in yeah, real yeah. time. 
and she and so she did but for some reason she went on twitter later and said that like bernie sanders fans were screaming at her to to speak <laughs> english only at the convention like it seemed like a Ridiculous. totally dirty trick right ploy right um but what was interesting is bernie sanders fans were so dumb that they like responded to the false framing basically saying no like bernie sanders fans didn't yell that it's like Okay, like I'm not saying that. Okay, I f- actually take back what I said. I can understand why they would be responding to that, and, like directly responding to that. Yeah. But like, let's say that a handful of Bernie Sanders supporters did yell that. How is that a story? Right. Like, what if they? What if like a couple Bernie Sanders fans in the front row of this convention screamed English only, or were actually like racist against people who right. spoke Spanish? Right. Who gives a shit? Right. How does it have to do with Bernie Sanders' campaign? Nothing at all. Right. But for some reason, this became like a heated debate over the past week um, until people basically debunked oh what she said. But God. then the other part of it was I was thinking like, what would happen if that actually did happen right. and you couldn't debunk it? Right. They've already set themselves up for a total framing trap by responding to it like that. Somebody should yeah, have gone I mean, up and been I mean, like, that's how whole... does this have anything to do with our candidate? Nothing. Right. And also the Bernie bro like mantra too makes no sense in terms of like why is the why is bernie sanders even forced to respond to this i feel so bad because it's such dirty tricks hillary clinton's so desperate that she's like going out there her and bill have both commented on how like bernie sanders twitter like bros on twitter harass women they're just like what in the hell are you talking about you're talking about like what five troll accounts who like have bernie avies that are sane misogynist comments it's just like the weirdest thing i've ever heard it would almost be like if that was our only point against like nawaz and sam harris yeah and like that's the only thing we could say about them and that's all we talked right like oh yeah yeah yeah. like they were great but then their supporters were like crazy as yeah like we couldn't argue against any of their actual points right right because i mean but it's so it is it's such bullshit dirty trick this is coming from the same campaign who leaked a photo of obama wearing a turban <laughs> i mean literally like that's been proven that her campaign leaked oh that oh my god do you remember that no it was like uh it was like obama in indonesia wearing like traditional <laughs> like indonesian like garb or something i don't even remember what it was for and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that she was the one floating out all that muslim stuff about him too like a lot of people have traced that back most of it was not coming from the republicans in the mccain campaign so where was it coming from right i mean come on this these people play extremely dirty tricks hillary stayed in the election in the primary the last primary when she already lost the delegate count for like a month right they had to set up a special meeting diane feinstein like secretly whisked hillary and obama to her house to like make them negotiate and like for her to eventually concede and step down after she lost the delegate count right i mean that's absurd this woman is not going to give up easily no no exactly Exactly. She th- she's she thinks she's entitled to the presidency and she's not going to back down. And and I think it's important to point out even though Howard Dean denied that this happened to him on my show breaking the set. Oh um I think it's really important to point out how quickly the media can turn people against people. And they we haven't really seen that happen yet to Bernie Sanders and I think it's going to happen soon. 
Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of Hillary attack dirty tricks um, that are going to really make him look really bad. Um, because if if everyone can remember the Howard Dean campaign, he was winning a lot. He was doing really well. Um, and then the Howard Dean scream within 24 hours, yeah. he got so knocked down um, just based on one 24 hour media cycle replaying that scream over and over again. So, I mean, that's how easy it is. So I think it's it's important to point that out and, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. I think it's going to be a really interesting couple months. And I also think that that, that one thing that happened a few months ago, that black lives matter protest that interrupted his speech. I still find that whole thing very suspicious. And it's like, I mean, when I first saw that, like the first thing that came to my mind was, did Hillary do this? Yeah. Because it makes him look weak on like both poles. Cause it's like for people who, might be more in the center and who might not be very sure of him. Like they see that as like being totally weak, like letting protesters like take over his speech. Yeah. 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 And then on the other side, you have like the really lefty people who are like, Oh, he's being like really rude to these protesters. You know, like he's not, yeah, yeah. you know, like he, he's not giving them a voice or whatever. It's like, a, it creates like a weird, it, it, it's going to be, I think that's going to be a problem for him later on. Mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. that actually did hurt his campaign, whether people realize that or not. Um, and I would not be surprised at all if Hillary totally sent those people over to his um, campaign rally. Yeah. Uh, and look at what Trump is getting the most headlines for recently. Like before Jeb dropped out of the race, oh, like the 9/11 he was saying thing. shit about 9-11 that was more arguably extreme than anybody from the um, Democratic side, which is like, why wouldn't Bernie be saying similar things? You know, well, he did. He did say that he he did say something really good about the CIA. Oh yeah, and he, and he talked about Kissinger and how like no candidate should be endorsed by Kissinger. So that was great. But, yeah, saw, yeah, that that was good. And, yeah, and what he said about abolishing the CIA, CIA yeah. years ago is great yeah. too. Um, but people need to remember that in the seventies was a particularly friendly era for anti-government right. rhetoric. Right. Um, the Church Committee. Nixon, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, think about the era that we're in. Vietnam, Pro, we yeah. pulled out of Vietnam. So many things that made people very aware of how fucked up the US government was. Right. Saying that back then was not as risky as it sounds today. Yeah. It really wasn't. Yeah. Um, we had Philip Agee. I mean, that was yeah. the era of Philip Agee as a whistleblower. Daniel Ellsberg wasn't even the most extreme whistleblower at the time, you know? So, um, but it is weird. I mean, that Trump, this is literally a quote from Trump. And one of the last debates, he said, we went after Iraq. They did They did not knock down the World Trade Center. It wasn't the Iraqis that knocked down the World Trade Center. We went after Iraq. We decimated the country. But it wasn't the Iraqis. You'll find out who really knocked down the World Trade Center. Because they have papers in there that are very secret. You might find that it's the Saudis, okay? But you will find out. <laughs> I mean, he's referencing the 28 redacted yeah. pages of the 9-11 Commission report. I mean... If someone is uncoached and is like unfiltered as Trump can do that, I just don't see why Bernie Sanders can't go there either. Or not even well, go really there obvious. exactly, but just bludgeon Hillary Clinton with her Iraq war vote over and right. over again. Dennis Kucinich did that in the debates. Right. Um, and he was in a panel of like five people, you know. This is Bernie versus Hillary, man. Bernie needs to go hardcore on her war record. And if he doesn't, start doing that i think he's definitely gonna lose well, i completely I asked, agree with you well i asked nader i mean nader talks about him and his strategy and he he just says like he has zero bargaining power the fact that he already 
said that he would endorse the Democratic candidate, gave it up, and that he said that he wouldn't run independent. And then also just that he doesn't, he has like a tendency and like he has to stay true to his morals about not attacking fellow candidates. And it's like, sorry, we don't have time to waste. And if he does really want to win and if he's serious and that should be like his number one thing is calling out Hillary Clinton for the corporatist hawk shill yeah. that she is. I mean, goddamn. I mean, he does really go after her Iraq war vote often, but he really doesn't talk enough about her Wall Street backing for some reason, even though that's his like main thing. So I think that's weird. I don't really know. It seems like he knows that he can't win and he's just kind of go- taking it as far as he can to push um push her like as left as as he can and like get and it get seems to be like working at least in shift. terms of her rhetoric you see the shit she said about breaking up the banks yeah recently? it's fucking hilarious it's and then oh my god did you see that the um people are bringing up her talking about black people as super predators back in like you know during clinton's like incarceration bills oh yeah and back stuff during and how, the same era when everybody was so racist ridiculous, including the Ron Paul dude. newsletters and stuff dude so ridiculous it's just like amazing how horrible the Clinton presidency was. I know that we grew up in a really staunchly democratic family where like I didn't I still didn't really know like Bill Clinton's real legacy until I started getting into politics. You know, I just thought like, oh, he was he was just like whatever, he didn't really do anything bad. And then you and then you realize how disastrous what he really did was. You know, NAFTA, the incarceration stuff, the three strike stuff. And then it's the humanitarianism. <clears throat> it's that humanitarian yeah. neoliberal the, interventionism. Yeah, the, the, the hum- liberal interventionism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Robert Kagan said, the frequency of interventions between Bush one and like the very beginning of Obama was the highest frequency of any time in our history of military intervention. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, we invaded Panama, Haiti, Iraq. Um, I can't even remember. I mean, Sudan, Mm -hmm. Kosovo, Bosnia, there's, there's so many more. I can't even remember. Mm -hmm. Um, highest frequency ever in our history. Um, and most of that took place under Clinton and Bush. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. So, you know, Clinton invaded more countries than the first Bush administration did. You know, I mean, he's only in there for four years. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, oh. and also I think it's worth mentioning that during that era, like, not, I'm not saying this to give Hillary Clinton an excuse at all, but like, during the, the the early 90s mid 90s like we were in a more racially tense like polarized period mm-hmm. um than than for like the you know than like the 10 years before that like i feel like the 90s was like you know was the era of the oj trial the la riots there was a lot of stuff happening there that like really polarized like a lot of the racial rhetoric in this country and i think even democrats we're playing into that white fear of blacks back then. Yeah. Because, because every, like, it was like, now it's more divided along party lines. Like people on the left and Democrats are more into black rights. But back then it was like all white people were pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, scared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it really, it's really true. No, it totally is. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, look at the Reagan like backlash of like the black Panthers and all these militant armed black groups in like the sixties and seventies. And then, you had the Reagan administration and then it just like completely got crushed. It was like the psychedelic renaissance, the anti-war movement and like this black radicalism <clears throat> completely got crushed by all these policies, COINTELPRO, incarceration policies, everything else. And that now I feel like we're, we're finally seeing like 
a really strong resurgence of it um and finally this like veil of racism lifted where these people can't get away with being racist like they were you know like mm-hmm. hillary was overtly 15 20 years ago um but and now speaking we have of, like a totally yeah now we have like a totally flipped script too of like what cointel pro like modern cointel pro looks like instead of like people infiltrating like black panthers to make them like more violent and to like kill cops or whatever now we have like bizarre like twitter figureheads being like signal boosted to like extremely powerful positions like soapbox you know or like platforms where they like advertise products and tell like inject rhetoric that actually seems like pro establishment it's really surreal it is surreal. Like you, you already have that happening in the blm black lives matter movement like from the very beginning of like this resurgence of what you're talking about well that's um, why it was so refreshing to go to this conference and people can check it out on our empire files youtube page but it's called the black radical tradition conference in philadelphia and it was refreshing to go to it because i feel like the black lives matter movement today is so identitarian and um it's just important to understand that you can't really have a movement unless you are inclusive you know and it's not really about race it's about unifying about ideology and a class struggle and stuff like that so it was refreshing to go to this conference um and talk to people like cornell west and hear from all these speakers like mamia called in from jail and we talked to this woman who was a survivor of the move bombing where the philadelphia police bombed a home full of black radicals in the uh, 80s and it was great to hear them all just say like it's a systemic thing it's not about race it's about us uniting uh, uh, among against the system and really acknowledging how this all happens and um yeah i think that they all called out the twitter stuff too they were just like a lot of these leaders are just kind of like manufactured twitter personalities and they're like it really does not reflect at all what the struggle is on the streets or what needs to be done and you can't call a movement what exists on twitter because that's not a movement are these people in the streets are they organizing if they're not then they're not in the movement they're just identitarian kind of ideologues who are putting out rhetoric about it and it, and unfortunately it encapsulates a lot of what the right wing takes away from black lives matter you know even people like joe rogan fall prey to this kind of rhetoric from breitbart and stuff about sean um king you know mm-hmm. and it's just sad it's like <clears throat> i think that we should just focus on the fact that obviously there's structural um institutionalized racism um obviously black males are being killed at a very high rate by police it's a problem. Um, there's a huge problem with police abuse. I think that just uniting among those issues would be really beneficial. It's just really a shame all this racial tensions and people who just exacerbate that and just like mock, you know, Black Lives Matter or this movement just because of what like the right wing has taken away from it. Yeah. And I mean, as soon as anyone, it's like, and you, you can it's pretty telltale sign too like when you're talking to someone about this and all they want to talk about is like black on black violence like that's where they're coming from you know because it's like why why is that more important to you than like structural violence like the police killing black people you know like that's that's strange that that would be your focus unless you're like unless you somehow feel so defensive about the police that you think that every police shooting of an unarmed black man is like by default and okay and normal. I mean, that's kind of what it says about you. If that's your, if that's your go to, um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of divide and conquer stuff going on still. 
and um, it's it seems to be getting worse. I mean, like, you know, they used to talk about, like, during the Bush administration, like, how things were getting so divided here, it almost seemed like there could be, like, another civil war or something. I mean, I feel like that more now. Um, you know, you don't, it's it doesn't feel, it's there's, like, two layers of it going on. Like, under the surface, it does feel like things are just getting so much more divided to the point where, there's just very little to unify us, um, you know, populism, um, you know, fighting against the system, uh, making sure that we're all taken care of as a, po- as a population and stuff. I mean, those are all things regular people should be able to get behind, but so many yeah. things put out there to, to divide us so that we're all basically just fighting each other. And, uh, I think a lot of that's by design, um, I think. Oh my God! Yeah, of course. I mean, I think of the most blatant one that you and I probably witnessed was when um, the Tea Party took over, and when all that anti-war interventionist spirit from like the libertarians got co-opted and diluted into this like total milk toast nothing. Yeah. Um, And now the anti-war movement on the left is gone too. I mean, that's an example of divide and conquer, like truly ruining momentum building for like a good cause in this country yeah um i wanted to say something else really quickly before we wrap it up about scalia um biggest piece of shit you know worst person on the supreme court in my opinions other than you know roberts you can argue but i mean scalia was like inarguably the most bigoted anti-gay he was like he was still trying to ban anal sex like it's like these archaic laws that existed on the books. He still was trying to uphold them, like you know, oral sex and anal sex bans in certain states. It's just like unbelievable. Um, you know, tried to uphold. I think Glenn Greenwald pointed this out to arrest gay people, vehemently anti-abortion. Would I mean just the worst person ever? And not only that, but he was like the one who you could argue really bullied the Supreme Court into giving the election to Bush in two thousand during the Supreme Court decision. People might, may not remember that, that he was really integral in that decision. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny is that, uh, I don't know, do you know about this uh, secret society that he was part of? What's funny to me is uh, Antonin Scalia was always held up as this like moral, sort of like, uh, you know, Christian, Catholic, moral sort of balance on the Supreme Court, right? Like he's a Sicilian Catholic and and he's very moral, he's very like, you know, pro, you know, like conservative sort of values or whatever. So I found it amusing when it was revealed after he died that he was actually a part, he was a high-ranking member of a secret society called the International Order of St. Hubertus, an Austrian society that dates back to the 1600s, where they wear like ritualistic, like green, like long robes and hoods, like druids and stuff. Do you know, have you heard about this? No. So this is like, I'm reading this from the Washington Post in case anyone listening thinks I'm reading it from like Prison Planet or something. This is like totally real. But what I thought was funny about it is like Catholics generally are very, they frown upon any kind of like secret society, the Freemasonry, like Catholics are very anti-Freemasonry, yeah. very anti-Rosicrucian. When, you know, mom went to um, 
uh, Catholic school when she was a girl, uh, they banned visits to the Rosicrucian Museum in San Jose, um, which was like a mummy Egyptian artifact museum because it was a secret society. Uh, so that's how much, and that was like a post-Vatican II like Catholic school she went to. It wasn't even like yeah. you know pre-Vatican II. So I think it's it's just a total contradiction of the way people perceived Antonin Scalia as being this like good Catholic, you know, moral compass when he was in like a like any Catholic. Um, you know, who's like a practicing Catholic would be like shocked to know that he was like part of this bizarre secret society. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I really think they would be. So I think that's yeah. that's just an interesting fact that I didn't <laughs> yeah, even hear about. Yeah, he also supported like executing mentally ill people and um, retarded people and stuff like that. He's just like really, really bad dude. I can't believe he was on the Supreme Court for so long. It's shocking. Yeah, and one of the best things ever. One of the most embarrassing moments I thought for him. And he probably wasn't that embarrassed by it, but I mean, I cringed for him when I saw it. Is oh, when yeah, he supports torture. Yeah, when when the reporters asked him about some ruling he made, um, and if he's like still agreed with it, he gave like an Italian neck gesture to the reporter that basically means "fuck you," like in Italian hand language. Yeah, it means, yeah, yeah, it yeah. means "fuck you." Yeah. He did it to a reporter, and then later he was like confronted about it and asked, like, "Why did you do that?" The reporter, and he's like, yeah. "Oh, like it didn't mean anything." I was like telling him, like, I was like thanking him or something he like made like a really yeah. like totally bullshit excuse for why he did it so then when colbert stephen colbert did the white house correspondence dinner mm -hmm. roast he's like i see antonin scalia in the audience i just wanted to say how are you sir thank you and, and while the, he was saying it he like did the neck gesture that's really good to scalia like very extremely wow. and then scalia was like extremely uncomfortably laughing because wow. of course he knows that that meant yeah, fuck yeah, you. Yeah. he's not an idiot he just pretended that it didn't when the reporter right. followed up on it but a psychotic um, piece of shit yeah that's um, it. scalia I, is a disgusting human being i'm glad he's dead i really <laughs> not gonna cut that out <laughs> last thing i wanted to say to everyone is check out our latest episode it's coming up uh hopefully today or tomorrow it's the move bombing survivor ramona africa and it's just an insane story um you know we're talking about COINTELPRO and this crackdown on black radicals in like the 60s and 70s but i don't think a lot of people know or at least i never had heard of it that the police actually bombed an entire house and burned 11 people alive on purpose and had planned this um for weeks potentially months to basically exterminate this whole family in philadelphia and they burned 60 homes in the process and it's just this insane act of police terror that you just don't learn about um, Are you talking so about the we're gonna tell the whole story mm -hmm. the move house yeah 1985 yeah i can't i mean it's it's really crazy when you when you yeah. go back and look at that kind of stuff like how to think that the kind of things that we were raised like in in you know you learn about in history class like these important events like i think we learned about like the church bombing you know, that killed those two girls, mm -hmm. um, like during the civil rights era, like that was a footnote in like our history mm -hmm. books. But something like this, you'll never read about, you know, mm -hmm. like you have to hear about it through like the fringe left media. I mean, how absurd right. is that? This actually right. happened. Um, yeah. So check it out on the, on our um, show, the Empire Files, check it out on YouTube. Oh, I can't wait to see that. And it's really great. Yeah. We didn't just do her interview. We like made an entire timeline of everything that happened and got all this old footage and it's just like so. Oh, wow. Well. So yeah, it's really, really great. Um, but yeah, check it out. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we're definitely going to do another episode soon. Really appreciate it. Donate to MediaRoots.org, please. I found out that my contact form has not been working for months. I'm really embarrassed that I didn't know that until now. Um, but please, if you've been trying to contact MediaRoots or, or donate or 
whatever, um, please email me at abby at the empirefiles.tv. Um, and also you can email me at info mediaroots.org. And we finally fixed the contact form. Really sorry if anyone's been trying to reach out. Yeah. And if anybody wants to reach me for anything, like anything doing with Media Roots, you can, Abby will pass the email to me if you mm-hmm. send it to info at mediaroots.org. Um, Sounds good. And that's it, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a good day or evening, wherever, whatever time it is where you are. And check out my brother's documentary, A Very Heavy Agenda. Yeah, check it out. Still, uh, Very Heavy Agenda Part 3 comes out at the end of March. And DVDs are shipping now of Part 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Go to averyheavyagenda.com to check it out. Thank you.